Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bright and early Saturday morning, the U.S. men's national team will be taking on the Netherlands in a round of 16 matchup that if the U.S. win could send them through to the quarterfinals for the first time since 2002. A win would mean so much more for the U.S. though, with a soccer nation teetering on just becoming soccer crazy and with the World Cup in 2026 in the U.S. on the horizon, for the U.S. to win this game and keep this momentum going, it would be absolutely massive in this country. Now, it will be no easy feat going up against one of the traditional powers in world soccer in the Dutch, but can it be done? That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of The Yank Report. What's up? My name is Sam. This is The Yank Report, a show about all things American soccer. Make sure you subscribe, hit the like button, and stick around. If you want to become a member, you can directly support the channel that way. Now, we're going to get into it. We got a very special guest we're bringing on along with Brad. We're going to introduce both of them after we hear a word from this week's sponsor. Football is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to start this show because we're bringing back uh, one of the fan favorites on the Yank Report, a very special guest. He is Jake from It's Called Soccer. Jake, thank you so much for being with us on the eve of this so important night in American soccer. What a momentous day. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> Producer Brad, how are you feeling right now as, as we prepare to get into this matchup, which is we're already brimming with excitement to talk about it? You know, it's weird. After the game, right after we got off our stream where I went back and watched it, holy crap, did I look exhausted because that was one of the most emotionally and mentally exhausting things I've ever been through. Um, I had this feeling of like, you know what? Get a little something here, get a little something here. You know, we can we can make a run. And then there was a little bit of a lull where I was a bit pragmatic and being like, you know what? This is good that they got a group stage. But now I am all back in and I am full on just picking this thing apart and ready to go and ready to see our boys go out there and give it, give it everything tomorrow. Boys, let's hop right into it. I want to start, start with this Dutch side. So they're coached by Louis van Hall. Uh, they've been coming out in a five, three, two more or less for uh, most of their matchups. They've got some, some scary players. Uh, I mean, Memphis Depay has been kind of coming back into health throughout this tournament. Uh, Cody Gakpo is kind of the breakout player of this tournament, the six foot four uh, forward from PSV, who is just scoring goals for fun right now. Frankie de Jong is the Barca midfielder who is pulling all the strings in the midfield. Virgil van Dijk, the center back from Liverpool, who at one time was the best center back in the world. Um, I don't know if that's still the case, but he's arguably up there. Uh, Brad, I want to start with you. Who in this Dutch lineup scares you the most as you look at them and, and we face them tomorrow? Well, it's it's hard to look past uh, the highlights that have been coming from Cody Gakpo. I was listening to uh, Men and Blazers earlier today. They had Jesse Marsh on, and he was lamenting the fact that Leeds pretty much had it signed, sealed, delivered until 
Gakpo got a call from Louis van Hall and he said, don't do it. Wait till after the World Cup. And now there, his, his stock has gone through the roof. So watching him, you know, he, he, he really has had some wonderful moments in this tournament. But I, as we're going to discuss, I think there are some ways we can limit him. And the main thing to limiting him is basically don't let him get the ball. <laughs> That's the main thing here. Brett, I had a feeling you were going to say that, and I set you up because I wanted to ask Jake this question. <laughs> Jake, it feels like every World Cup, there's a there's a breakout player. There's a player that nobody knew about, and all of a sudden, everybody in the world wants. Is that Cody Gagbo for this tournament? It definitely is at the top of a lot of people's lists, but the nice thing for the U.S. is that we also have a few of those players. And if you were to make a top five breakout stars of the U.S., I guarantee you that Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa are names that are on 99% of these lists. Tim Ream, if he was 22 years old, he would have been, you know, we're taking the Pep Guardiola approach of he's going to Man City, but no, he's 35. But certainly for the U.S., Tim Ream has been a breakout star and someone that the fans were clamoring for when they've seen his performances captaining Fulham this season. But yeah, Cody Gakpo absolutely has been the breakout star. Leeds put him on the map by going so far to get his signature and get him over to Leeds United in the Prem. But he, like his moments in the World Cup, have him as the deserved breakout star right now. Tyler Adams and Yunus Musa don't necessarily have the goal production. That's also to do with the, the situations that we were in in our games and the positions that they play in. But certainly for center defensive mids and eights, I mean, these are players that should be on huge contracts at huge clubs in the next few years. He's not just scoring goals. He's scoring pretty spectacular goals, which is going to make that, 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 um, that transfer fee just keep going up. Now, as for the Netherlands, they had Qatar, Ecuador, and Senegal in their group. Uh, they beat Qatar 2 to nothing. They tied Ecuador 1-1, and they beat Senegal 2 to nothing. And even though they've really gone through the group stage unscathed, uh, head coach Louis Van Hall has still faced a lot of criticism from the Dutch fan base because the soccer that they're playing is a little bit more pragmatic, a little bit more defensive, not the free-flowing, beautiful thing, beautiful soccer we're used to seeing from the Dutch. And they haven't exactly looked super convincing in their wins. They've been pretty clinical with their chances. They're not creating a ton of them. And some of the weaknesses in their squad, or you, you can kind of see them whenever you see this Dutch team play. This is not the Dutch team from 2010 with Van Persie and Snyder and, and Robin and, and all those great names from the past. Now, added on top of that is this extra dynamic of the flu that seems to be going through um, a, a lot of teams' guitar. Greg Berhalter mentioned that the U.S. team faced the flu whenever they first arrived in Qatar um, and have gotten over it since then. But it seems like this Nether- it's hitting the Netherlands side a little bit. Brad, can you tell us a little bit more about the flu and the Netherlands right now? So the flu in the Netherlands, uh, I've been seeing some reports that they canceled. They were supposed to have an 11 v 11 scrimmage uh, yesterday, I'm pretty sure. And that got canceled because the guys were all struggling with laboring to breathe uh it's it's not guys aren't bedridden or anything like that it's just they're apparently what they've been saying is that it has to do a lot with the air conditioning um which boggles my mind a little bit um but uh i heard one reporter equate it to you've been on a long flight and there's the recircled air and you feel a little groggy and your nose is runny and stuff like that that's kind of what these guys are have been dealing with 
Um, and apparently one of the guys who has been uh, laboring the most with it is Frankie DeYoung, who is probably the linchpin to see which way this game is going to go. And uh, listen, I'm all for you want to beat everybody at full strength, but at this point, knockout stage of the World Cup, I'll take any leg up that, that our boys can get. Do you guys believe this story, though? I think it I, might be it's a almost like games might be some smoke I, in The Brazilians have talked be. about it as well. I've heard it from a few different nations that the, the air conditioning is bothering them. I mean, we're kind of playing it as well. Apparently, Josh Sargent is in full practice mode and Greg is out here in yeah. uh, press conferences saying he doesn't know if he's going to be able to play, but... We'll you see. do what you can at this point, man. Yeah. All right. I'm going to mess this one up, but Blograna Kuhler's 79 with the soccer ball donates $10. He says, the Netherlands can't match our energy, desire, and straight up grit. USA advanced two to one. Now that leads me into a question I wanted to ask Jake, which is, you know, part of the criticism of this Netherlands side so far in this tournament is they have felt a little bit lackluster. They have felt like they haven't come out of second gear. I know that you've you've reviewed some of their games in preparation for this for this game for the U.S. Is that something you've you've seen whenever you watch this team play? Yeah, and there's kind of the the first answer is yes, absolutely. The Netherlands haven't really been tested throughout this this group stage, and the weird part is they they needed a, a Mendy mess up a, a Mendy gaff and in, in the Senegal game to get their goal. Uh, that really opened up the extra time and they got another goal there to win two, nothing against Senegal. And then against Ecuador, they were not the better team. You go back and watch that and they kind of just swam through that. They were kind of walking in mud. They weren't able to control the midfield at all. Their goal was one of their two shots that they had. And Ecuador had, I think 15 or 16 shots. Ecuador had a goal that was called offside as well. And then they played a Qatar a Qatar team that was already eliminated from the World Cup. So I'm looking at their group stages thinking, you know, they really haven't gotten out of second gear. They probably should have lost at least one of those games. Senegal, they probably should have tied. And then we're looking at, you know, four points in one of the easiest groups. But they are where they are. They got their wins. They're playing us. I think it's one of the winnable matches in the round of 16 that the U.S. could have. It's a it is almost a trap though for US fans. Like this is a winnable match, but we maybe shouldn't expect to win and be the better team. Now, speaking of that Ecuador match, I noticed re-watching some of the highlights that Ecuador was getting a lot of joy down the channels. They were attacking this Dutch side on the wings. We know that this Dutch side has a um, a, a three five two, um, so they're going to have those three center backs, and they're going to be pushing their wingers high up the field, and that's going to leave some space out in the wings. Ecuador was really able to convert that into chances again and again against the Dutch. Knowing what we know about this U.S. side and how they've been attacking teams throughout uh, the World Cup. With, with excellent wing play from uh, Robinson and Pulisic, and then on the other side with Dest and Wea. Uh, Jake, do you expect that to be something that the U.S. are going to be able to exploit in this game? Yeah, it is absolutely an area of the pitch that the U.S. can use to exploit. I think the one of the best things to happen for us is that we are going to play another team that plays in a three-in-the-back system. And what we do with our fullbacks, Serginho Dest and Anthony Robinson, and push them so high up the pitch... And sometimes even past our wingers, Christian Pulisic and Timothy Weah, 
those spaces are so open because the Netherlands team are playing with three center backs and they push their wing backs so high up that there is space to exploit there for Anthony Robinson, Serginho Dest, Timothy Way, and Christian Pulisic. I think it's going to be really important for us to be good in transition moments because that is going to be when the Netherlands are are the most exposed, especially if we can dispossess Frankie de Jong, if he's you know progressing the ball up the pitch and we can dispossess him in the center of the field or towards our box. That is going to be when we can break. I'm not really thinking that we play a counterattacking match plan, but the thing is those spaces are going to be so open for us, so we might as well take advantage of them. And if we can be better in transition than we have been so far this tournament, then that will be a place that I can see us getting some goals. Speaking of Frankie de Jong, we know that he is the danger man in the midfield for um, for the Dutch. And and he's that sh- string puller, that connector at Barcelona. Um, he, he's a phenomenal midfielder, um, flat out. However, around him is not a scary midfield. I don't know that they're scarier than the English midfield that we played before. Uh, Brad, whenever you take a look at this midfield for the Dutch, how do you think that the MMA midfield stacks up against it? I, I think it stacks up pretty well. And I think it stacks up pretty well simply because, and and I do get a little tired of uh, hearing U.S. players referred to as high energy and athletic. But in, in, in this situation, we are more energetic. We are more high energy. I, I really think this is somewhere we can exploit it, especially if Frankie DeLong's laboring a little bit, if reports are to be believed. Um, this is somewhere where I can really see Tyler Adams denying this midfield, the connection from those center backs up through Frankie de Jong to Cody, to Gapko. Um, I, I, I really think this is uh, where we can uh, kind of exert a little bit of dominance and, and kind of clog clog up that midfield, especially in the middle, because I don't think they, they're going to be able to get out wide and, and provide a lot of service, even though uh, Gapko is 6'4 and, and, and good in the air. Um, but I, I really do think this is uh, an area where we can exploit it. Uh, Jake, it seemed like against England, the key to that game for the U.S. was denying those balls into Declan Rice. And, and once we started to do that, England just really didn't have any answers after that. It, it, they struggled to create anything um, for, for the majority of the game because we kind of clogged up their midfield and denied the service in there. Do you see this game playing out similar, similarly where if we deny those balls into Frankie de Jong, it's going to really unsettle the Dutch? Or are they going to be able to build through the wings through guys like Daly Blind and, and kind of bypass that? So I noticed two things when I was rewatching, and and I love what Brad said about us actually being energetic. Like it's not just about athleticism. There really is more energy to our midfield than the Dutch. And that is going to make a difference, I think, tomorrow. The other way that the Netherlands look to progress the ball is to make line breaking passes with their center back. So if you watch their games, their center backs are not afraid to track into the midfield, either with the ball or track someone that they're defending into the midfield. And Nathan Ake from Manchester City, he is not afraid to put a ball, you know, 40 feet into the box and try and find Cody Gakpo. I don't think that Daly Blind and Dumfries, who is their right-sided wingback, are really seen as like possession holders for the Dutch. They're more there to stretch the field and to move the team up up the pitch. But yeah, if we can deny the middle of the field, if we can deny Frankie de Jong possession, and we can force Ake and Virgil, and it looks like Timber is going to start. He's an Ajax player rather than uh, Delict. Um, then 
we can do our job in denying those passes. Those are really the two biggest ways that the Dutch team was looking to progress the ball. Line-breaking pass from their center back or give it to Frankie de Jong and pray that he is able to progress the ball. Do you see the center backs as the strength of the Dutch side? Yeah, I mean, if if Gakpo doesn't have a breakout tournament, you can't really point at any other place on this team that has you know, a huge advantage over other teams in this tournament. And I think, too, like they have good stories around their team. If you read about their goalkeeper, who is relatively unknown, he plays for SC Heerenveen in the Netherlands. He was basically unsigned two years ago. Um, his fiance was telling him to look for a job in the police force, and he just went for one more job and started to win the job after a goalkeeper got injured. And now he's the starting keeper for the Dutch team. So there are good stories here. There are world-class players like Virgil van Dijk. There are upcoming stars. But overall, like it, you're right, it is not the team of 10 years ago for the Netherlands. And I think it's also would be good for us to understand that the Netherlands also missed the World Cup in 2018. Virgil van Dijk hasn't played in a World Cup before. So it's not like we're playing incredibly experienced national team players here. Like they're almost in the same position as us in terms of their experience in big tournaments. Yeah, I I can see that for sure. And I I think um, the big issue or or one of the big issues for for both sides, I think, has been depth in this tournament. Um, I I think the Dutch may have the advantage of us on us there, depending on um, their flu situation and who's actually healthy. But I think both of these sides uh, really struggle whenever they have to replace players uh, off of that front 11. I do think it's time that we turn our attention from the opposition to the U.S. men's national team, the reigning Group B, uh, co-runners-up, undefeated. Uh, undefeated, yeah. <laughs> One of five undefeated teams. Uh, <laughs> yet to concede a goal in open play, U.S. men's national team. Uh, first off, I think the, the the really important thing on everybody's mind is, is the injury situation in the game against Iran. We saw Christian... Pulisic go off and in, in one of the most brutal, um, shall we say, below the belt incidents um, on field that I've ever seen uh, on a soccer field. And then Josh Sargent coming off of his best game, probably in a U.S. men's national team shirt, certainly the best game from a striker in this tournament for the U.S., uh, seemed to step on a ball and have a weird situation that could be his knee, could be his ankle. It was, it was an odd thing that happened, uh, sort of scary there. Brad, what what are your what are the reports saying about the health of uh, Pulisic and Josh Sargent heading into this game? Well, last night U.S. Soccer put out a post that said Christian Pulisic is good to go, he's good to play. Now, whether or not that's ninety minutes fit, I don't know. Some of the reports from training, uh, the media was limited in their uh, availability today. Said he looked a little labored trying to cut, but that was just uh, during warmups and this. Maybe one of those injuries that you have to get through warmups to get to get it loose, and then once you get going, uh, it'll ease up a little bit. Josh Sargent is uh, the more interesting one. Uh, I thought uh, he 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 could be a real big asset in this uh, in kind of badgering that back line a little bit and drawing hopefully the attention of, if not one, hopefully maybe two of their center backs. That'll create a lot of. Uh, space for Christian and Serginho and Wea and um, and A Rob to to kind of work in. Um, he's still listed as day to day. I don't know if that's smoke and mirrors. Um, 
no one really knows, but he was at training today and he was training with the guys. Uh, granted, this is the night before a game. They're not really going too hard. So no one's really going to, if, if someone's training on their own the day before a match, then you, you got bigger issues. Um, but uh, uh, Christian, we will see him in this game. Josh Sargent, that's the bigger question mark. I think you're right. And I, th- I think you're right in, in that we've seen um, Greg Berhalter be pretty coy about injuries throughout this tournament. Uh, it seems like everybody has been available uh, every game, but we haven't necessarily seen everybody. Um, so how that actually, what that actually means, I, I guess we'll all find out tomorrow. But yeah, my sense is that Pulisic's going to go. I think he's going to start uh, watching him in the press conference today. Um, it, it seemed like not that nothing's going to keep him off that field. Uh, speaking of the press conference, um, Jake, what is your sense of of how this team is feeling heading into this game? I think the fan base has largely it, it seems like the fan base was pretty excited to get out of the group. And at this point, we're feeling like we're playing with house money. Uh, but what is your sense of what this team's feeling like heading into this game? I just need to say that I love this team so much. Like every single player on the squad brings me such joy to see their genuine happiness, their togetherness. Like brotherhood is kind of like a catch-all word and it's a buzzword for Greg Berhalter and the team. But in some instances, like it does have an impact on how you feel towards this team. Like you don't want them to just win because you're a fan of U.S. soccer. You want them to win because you're rooting for all 26 of these guys. And I feel like that is a an environment that they've built over time. I think Greg Berhalter does need some credit here. Like for all of us that have lived in the U S soccer sphere for the last two years, it probably feels like the twilight zone right now, seeing international coverage of Greg Berhalter (laughs) and this U S team. Like I do consume U S soccer media, especially this channel, but I also watch, you know, international channels and the TIFO channel, especially has been really kind to the U S team. Uh, JJ Bull, one of their analysts, was talking about how the U.S. soccer team in this World Cup has been tactically one of the most interesting teams to approach the game. And today they were doing predictions for the USA-Netherlands match, and they had four analysts. Two of them chose the USA. One of them chose a draw. One of them chose a slim Netherlands win. So it feels like the U.S. is kind of winning over people that aren't necessarily in the sphere. And I think that goes kind of one level expanded to people that are just getting into the sport in the U.S. as well, that this is a likable team. This is a team that can deep run. This feels like a really critical moment because this is a winnable game. The U.S. can get past the Netherlands. It just is going to amount to like, can we put it all together and have our day? And that will be like to get to the quarterfinal, potentially play Lionel Messi the World Cup before it is hosted in the U.S. MLS is rising. We have players going to Europe every single transfer window. Like this feels, I know a lot of other times it felt like inflection moments, but this feels like the inflection moment. It, it, and Jake, if, if I can piggyback off of that, it feels sustainable also mm-hmm. um, because of the infrastructure that's been put into U.S. soccer now. And also uh, having worked in sports media and soccer media, a few of the people that I used to work with, I, I especially one, I watched two of them, uh, two of their reports today. And these are guys who never missed a chance to poke fun 
at us soccer or, or, or call it, or call us, you know, a soccer nation rather than a footballing nation. And if they ever gave us a compliment, it, it always came with a caveat. Um, I watched two of their reports today and they were like, we owe us soccer and Greg Berhalter and the U S Federation an apology because these guys, one, they're all likable dudes. So like they're, they're all, they're winning over the hearts and minds of the, of, of their nations and of the neutrals especially in the soccer media and uh, not just in the soccer media in America. Um, and and that, that's really gone a long way. And it's, it's, we've stopped uh, being just a bunch of gritty, good athletes. We're playing tactically sound soccer. And I think that's what's winning the respect of a lot of European nations. And, and for guys like us who are sickos and wake up and, and have 50 different uh, <laughs> streaming subscriptions to watch these guys, we knew this was coming. We, we knew these guys could do it, but to uh, everyone else, everyone else's eyes, they've seen Christian in spouts. They've seen mm-hmm. Weston in spouts, but we've seen them do it. We, we can connect the dots. They're just kind of catching glimpses here and there. This is sustainable and it is really an opportunity to, I mean, if, and when, I mean, power of positivity there, if, and when they win tomorrow, Going into a, a round of eight game against Messi will do wonders for this sport in America, and especially if they show well, uh, it, because everybody knows Messi. He's a household name. These guys are becoming household names, especially in marketing opportunities. They're going to be everywhere. And we forget that it's not necessarily a four-year run-up to the World Cup that's coming here. It's three and a half years. And and that year-long run-up is coming quick and it's coming fast. There's already infrastructure being laid down. The IBC is already booking spaces in New Jersey. I know that for a fact. It's going to be everywhere. You're not going to be able to miss it. And this just is such a great opportunity for the sport in this country. I could not possibly be more excited. I yield the rest of my time, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> right. I love the word sustainability. That just makes me so excited. And and guys, don't worry. We will be talking about Greg Berhalter a little bit later on. I got a few questions specifically about him. I mean, to to uh, to Jake's point, I have just been, I'm sure all of you as well, but I have gotten so many friends that aren't really soccer people like reach out and ask me about the game, ask me about um, when the games are going to happen. They're excited to watch them. Um, I ran into a guy at the grocery store like three hours ago uh, who said he's been watching the channel and he's a big fan of Brad, actually. (laughs) So that was kind of cool. I got a DM. (laughs) I got a DM from from one of my friends today, and and he asked me for some books about soccer because he's been so excited about it watching the World Cup. He said, It's weird. I've always wanted to get into the game and enjoy watching it, but the interest wouldn't last. The lead up to the tournament and the games had me hooked right now. So it's just like so cool getting that uh, from from um, from just the larger fan base. And you hope like if that's the microcosm happening here in South Louisiana, like what is happening in some of the bigger soccer markets around the country? It is so cool. Uh, We're going to get into the lineup in a second. But Bagel J donates four ninety nine and he says thought OSU would blow out my Wolverines picked OSU picked Iran and we won picking the Dutch and hoping the streak continues. Go USA and go blue. Hey, I got to say something real quick. 90% of my family are Ohio state grads and they were down bad. I am willing to sacrifice the Buckeyes for the U S men's national team. And I hope the U S men's national team will make up the joy that the Wolverines 
uh, cause for for the sad the sadness that they caused the Buckeyes. Bagel J is fading himself, and I, I pre- he's doing it for for the rest of us. Okay, so this U.S. Men's National Team lineup, we've been running out more or less the same lineup um, for the the past three games, and I think all three of us expect that to more or less continue, except for I think a couple of positions. So we'll start with the center back position. In the first two games, we saw. Um, we, we saw Walker Zimmerman. He was solid to okay defensively, but not very good with his distribution. Uh, we saw him come at the end, come in at the end of the Iran game, and just absolutely dominate the air and, and just dominate anything that came into the uh, box uh, defensively. Um, but we also saw in the Iran game, Cameron Carter Vickers come in, and he seemed to offer a little bit more in the distribution. He was much more willing to. Um, step into the midfield and um, progress possession that way. Um, so it, it seems like Greg Berhalter has a choice between uh, maybe the more defensively sound and certainly the more aerial sound uh, Walker Zimmerman and maybe someone who offers you a little bit more in possession in uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers. The way I want to do this is is producer Brad, tell yes. me why Greg Berhalter should start Cameron Carter-Vickers. Well, I think you should start Cameron Carter-Vickers if you think that uh, the Netherlands is going to press you a little bit more and, and you can uh, you have him in there for distribution. Uh, I have differing opinions on that. Also, if you think Memphis Depay is, uh, is fully fit and it's going to bring that pace that you need to have him on there for to be able to keep up with him. In my opinion... Gapko and the center back scare me a bit more than Memphis Depay right now. Um, but if you think if 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 Greg watched the Qatar game that uh, Memphis started and really Memphis put the fear of God in him, then I would start CCB. That's that's my two cents on that one. All right, Jake, tell me why Greg should start Walker Zimmerman. I mean, he's gotten you this far. He's excellent in the air. Cody Gakpo is six four. He's yes, he scored with his weak foot, his left, but he's also scored a header in this tournament. So you want to be sound in the air. I think having Tim Ream, Walker Zimmerman in the middle of the pitch just gives you so much solidity. We can give it to Serginho Dust if we want to pass out of the back or give it to Tim Ream if we want to pass out of the back. But Walker Zimmerman really gives you that stability there. And he's gotten you to this point. It's kind of dance with the lady you brought yeah Yeah, and and for me it's not just Gakpo but like thinking about corner kicks and set pieces whenever um whenever uh Van Dyke and some of the other center backs are coming up I mean the Dutch I I think they're a bigger squad than us um we have I mean we have Weston McKinney and Walker Zimmerman end of list as far as aerial threats and I think uh the Dutch have some serious aerial threats on their side so I think you go with Walker Zimmerman in this game just because you have to have people that account for that now further up the lineup I think the MMA midfield is going to start they've just been so great do we think Pulisic starting Jake yes um and honestly if Brendan if it's Brendan Aronson instead of Pulisic that's not the end of the world obviously there's a drop-off but that's much better than having say I don't know Having to have Shaq Moore instead of Sergio Dest, I'd much rather have Brendan Aronson instead of Christian Pulisic. Brad, do you think Pulisic starting? I don't know. I don't know. Here, here, here is my visualization for it, and this I 
highly, highly doubt is what's going to happen. I may lean towards starting Gio Reyna in this game. I, and I know that's a bit of a hot take, but I think if Gio can give you 60 minutes or 50 minutes or even a half, and then you bring on Christian, if Christian, I, I think you check in with him tomorrow, see how he's feeling after warmups. And if he's saying he's anything less than 100%, I think this might be a Gio game. And and I don't know if that's going to happen. I, I think uh, Greg is, don't know what's going on with Greg and Gio. Um, but I don't know. I, I think I've, I've seen Christian do it many, many times for the U.S., go the full 90, be a stud. I've seen him do it just as many times off the bench for Chelsea and be just an absolute game breaker. Um, and he if came he's in not, off the I, bench for the U.S. against Mexico and scored a goal in the Dos Acero game. I don't know. If, 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 he, if, he is, if he's 90 minutes fit, start him. But if, if he's anything less than 100%, I don't know. I think he could be an absolute killer off the bench. I really do. And then you start, and then you start against Argentina. Absolutely. Um, but I don't know. I think this could be a geo game, but I don't uh, think it's like, a, <laughs> I don't even think it's a coach's decision at this point in the world cup. Like the player is going to say that they're a thousand percent fit. And that also includes the Dutch team who might have the flu. They yeah. are not missing around like a knockout game in the world cup. Ugh. I, I know I, I'm and, I, and I'm with you on that, but I'm just I'm trying to mm, because and I know I know you you mentioned Aronson. I think with the Josh Sargent thing, it I don't think Greg's going to switch things up. This is just me going bonkers. <laughs> I could see if I could see a Brendan Aronson false nine. I really could see yeah. this game. I could see his energy just wearing out. Uh, the Dutch and, and that's that's been the big criticism of the Dutch is their energy and who brings more energy than anyone I've ever seen it's Brendan Aronson and he's played the false signings played it well now Brad said the magic word so now the chat has erupted in Geo Geo <laughs> Geo uh, Geo Reyna has been like the major topic of discussion throughout this World Cup where is Geo I have people it, people who I didn't even know watch soccer were into the World Cup asking me about Gio Reyna. How do you guys even know who Gio Reyna is? Uh, so, Jake, what is your take on this entire Gio Reyna situation? My take is probably an unpopular one, which is we got five points and we got out of the group. I don't really care how we did it. And obviously, as a fan and someone that knows the potential of Gio, I think Greg has a responsibility to get the best out of him and and give him the most effective minutes. But at the same time, it is also Greg's prerogative to decide how he gets out of that game to live another day. And since he has done that so far, I'm more reluctant to consider myself someone that thinks his substitutes were were very bad. They were different than than I would have. But at the same time, they have gotten us the results to the point where we are now in the round of 16 and we have this team ready to go. So Gio, I think could potentially play in Pulisic spot. If Pulisic is not ready to go, I think Greg prefers Brendan Aronson at that point. I think Gio could also be another option at the false nine. If we wanted to go that way and Josh Sargent isn't ready to go. 
I see IA says not giving him minutes is going to affect his morale. I don't think that's true at all. I think Gio Reyna is an absolute gamer. I don't think you can affect that guy's morale. I think he's, he's going to be gonna, hungry. Yeah, absolutely. He steps on the I think it will affect his morale off the pitch, but if, if Greg looks down the bench and goes, Gio, get in there, he's just going to be a dog. I yeah, mean, and, and considering he got 10 minutes in that game against England, that was a week ago at this point. So, I mean, Gio's had a lot of opportunity to heal up if he came into the camp with an injury, which he probably did, honestly. He's he's probably not 90 minutes fit. I mean, a lot of our players aren't 90 minutes fit at this point. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see. Let's see. Miguel Miguel Garcia weighs in with a $1.99 donation. He says, if one of our starters ain't fit, Gio has to start. And I mean, he's he's an absolute luxury on the bench if you have um, if he's healthy and able to go. Now, the next question mark is going to be the striker position. I think Josh Sargent played the best striker game of any striker that I've seen uh, for the U.S. men's national team in, in quite a while in the game against Iran. And of course, ironically, he gets injured in the process. Um, now, it sounded like from the injury reports, as we mentioned earlier, that Josh's injury might have been a bit more serious than Christians and we're already talking as if maybe Christian doesn't start this game uh let's start with Jake what do you think is happening with do you think Sergeant starts and if not who starts I am not a doctor so I don't know what's gonna happen with Josh Sargent but I I just have this feeling that he's probably not going to be starting this game um there's kind of two schools of thought right the first is that Craig maybe goes to Jesus Ferreira. Haji Ray has not been good this World Cup. And especially after his few minutes on the pitch against Iran, if I was the coach, I would probably sit Haji Ray for the rest of the World Cup. I mean, not taking it to the corner and having a weak shot to give Iran the ball back with 30 seconds left or a minute left for one last attack. That is like a cardinal sin that I, I can't... Um, give him any any other playing time for but the other school of thought would be to maybe switch timothy Weah over to pl- not even playing a false nine just playing the nine um or having brendan aronson or geo arena play a false nine timmy Weah has been one of our best players and he's been playing in his natural position on the right wing so i i would hesitate to take him out of that position that he's done so well in and at that point you're left with your options to play brendan aronson who i think to brad's credit again has played the false nine. He's played it a lot uh, at Salzburg, not necessarily so much at Leeds, but he has kind of held in those positions at Leeds as well. So Brendan would be my guy, but again, like Gio Reyna, he's kind of too good to not see the field more. And that's a potential position where he could uh, really thrive in. Now, Jake, no one in the chat wants to hear me talk about Jesus Ferreira. Uh, they're all done with me as far as that player is concerned. So I'm going to make you do my dirty work. Um, sure. Assuming that uh, Greg does start Jesus Ferreira tomorrow, why do you think he would start Jesus Ferreira? Why, what makes Jesus Ferreira a good option in this game? I deleted Twitter for this very reason because I, I don't need to hear the noise. I can just have my own opinions. Um, I think Greg would start Ferreira because Ferreira knows the game plan. Ferreira can press. Um, and while we do not want to get into a discussion about XG, I think Jesus Ferreira puts himself into really good positions to help the team. Um, and at some point, you kind of just have to say, if Josh Sargent isn't ready to go and Haji Wright isn't the guy, you don't really have anyone else. Maybe you made a mistake not bringing Ricardo Pepe. Maybe you made a mistake not bringing Jordan Pifak, but that's in the past and you have Jesus Ferreira. 
those are kind of like the outlines of what I would be thinking about for Greg. Sometimes it's just, this is the guy we have and we got to go with them. Yeah. And Greg did make a comment um, at, at one of the press conferences that the only players he's considered at the striker position are like uh, Sergeant Wright and mm-hmm. Ferreira. So at least he's come out and said that he's not planning on playing anybody else, but we also know that Greg loves being coy and misleading in, in press conferences. So maybe that's his big, uh, his big uh, magical trick. And we're going to have some master plan. reveal tomorrow. <laughs> uh, Brad, well, I, I know you kind of lean, you kind of gave this answer in your Pulisic description, but uh, tell me about what your thoughts on the striker position, assuming that Josh Sargent isn't able to go. Assuming Josh Sargent doesn't say, give me the shot. I tore it all right in the knee. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think uh, like Friday Night Lights. Uh, yeah, is that, was it not Friday Night Lights? What was it? Oh man, never mind. This is an old movie. Chat does not know about this movie. <laughs> Shoot you got me forty up. minutes for the rest of your laugh. Anyway, yeah. go on. <laughs> Varsity Blues. Anyway. No, that's uh, any given Sunday. No, any no, well, Sunday. I'm talking about Varsity Blues. But go on, Varsity Blues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we need the um, Al Pacino. We're about to get uh, off on a movie tangent. Um, <laughs> But no, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there. I think Greg has said um, he's not considering anybody else at the proper nine than than the three that he brought. Now, I think we've we've talked ad nauseum about how we would have, we think Ricardo Pepe might have been a little bit more valuable than a few of the other additions, but that's neither here nor there at this point. Um, I think the last thing, last option he has other than Jesus Ferrer, because Haji Wright, you, you mentioned he didn't take the cornerback. He also missed a wide open Brendan Aronson who could have waltzed in on goal and had one of his no look goals like he did for Leeds. Um, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you let him, unless you're desperate, see, see the pitch. Um, I think the only thing left to do if you don't play Jesus Ferrer is play a false nine. And uh, I think for that, you need energy. You you need someone who's just going to hustle, hustle, hustle. And for me, that's Brendan Aronson. See, for me, if you want somebody who's going to play like a false nine and press really well and hustle, I mean, there's a, there's a Colombian-American who kind of fits that description pretty well. Anyway, anyway Fine, moving fair, on. Fair, honestly, fair <laughs> enough, man. So um, one of the, the, I'm, the biggest uh, criticism of Greg Berhalter following the Iran game and, and really following all the games throughout has been the substitutions, how he's handled um, making these moves. Now, I, I think uh, Brad and I have, have commented um, in our post-game streams that it's pretty visible that around the 55th, 60th minute, uh, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, Serginho Dest, Tim Weyer are all gassing. It does not look like this team has 90 minutes in it. A lot of these guys came into the tournament not quite 90 minutes fit, and I don't think that the weather in Qatar and the heat at these games are doing anything to help those matters. I don't know that at this point, after playing, logging all these minutes, that these guys are suddenly going to become 90 minutes fit. Uh, so I am assuming that once again, this team is going to have about 60 minutes in it. And then after that, I mean, it is all hands on deck and try to figure out what the hell is going to happen. Because even if you put in Gio Reyna, we just don't have the quality on the bench uh, to put in that we are taking off the field. So the way I see it is no matter what Greg does, 
the team is going to get worse around the 60th minute mark. Uh, but Jake, I'm curious your thoughts on the subject or what, what moves would you like to see Greg make to hopefully maintain some of the momentum that we're seeing yeah. at the beginning of the games throughout the entire games? I mean, take away the players themselves. I think the first thing I need to say is that Greg needs to make changes sooner and he needs to have them planned based on the game state so that he doesn't need to think too much about it, or at least have an assistant that's ready to be thinking about different scenarios in which we put different players. Because in the Iran match, we w- I, th- I know it was part of the game where the game didn't really stop and there wasn't a point to put Brendan or er- who was... Who was Brendan Aronson. He waited Brennan on the touchdown. Like yeah. Anyway, in one of the games, he just waited until yeah. 70th minute. It, it was obviously... It was obvious that things needed to change. Um, one of the things that I think Greg does poorly is he sees how well the first halves are going and how well his plan A is working, that he's just reluctant to give that up. And that makes it so that he's not really ready to change the game and put in subs. So I think that's the first thing. Greg needs to think about what these scenarios are going to be and make the changes sooner. Um, yeah, Musa was completely gassed after 60 minutes. And to his credit, he kept running <laughs> until yeah. the end of the game. Uh, so Yunus Musa is a beast and deserves a shout out. But I think um, he was, uh, but he was running, but he lost his touch. He and did. Yeah. He lost some of that defensive bite. Um, he was not the same player at the end of the game that he was at the beginning of the game. And frankly, we don't have another Yunus Musa on the bench. We don't right. have half of a Yunus Musa on the bench. There's just nobody that's going to come in and replace his output. Yeah, the effectiveness of every player goes down as you lose stamina and as you lose energy. Um, I'm surprised, as much as we know about Greg and Joe Scally, I'm surprised that Joe Scally hasn't been the go-to right back. Um, Kellen Acosta is fine for me. I think he's been okay in terms of like where we have been in the game and what we needed out of it. Kellen Acosta has been fine. But yeah, I think for me, the two biggest things are Greg needs to make these changes sooner. He needs to give up plan A if he's if especially if it's not working in that second half. Um, Joe Scally should be above uh Shaq Moore in the depth chart and DeAndre Edlin in the depth chart. And he needs to find a way to get the best out of G Arena. I think like it it is something that you are like you should be allowed to call out that a coach isn't getting as much from his team that he could be. And Gio Reyna is kind of like this untapped source of production that we're not getting from our team and that's mostly due to how greg has been using him as a substitute uh brad same question what are your thoughts on the substitutions i see chat is playing luca della torre's music right now um he's a player that we just frankly haven't seen albeit right before the world cup there was a he had an injury people were concerned if he would even be at this world cup um he's come into this world cup he's probably not 90 minutes match fit we don't even know if he's 45 minutes match fit we don't know his injury status uh because we frankly don't know anybody's injury status at this point uh but what are your thoughts specifically on luca della torre and some of the substitutions greg's made at the end of these games i think you could seek luca della torre in this game if it goes into extra time and i think that's something we need to consider and and i see i see chat saying he has a similar profile yeah the similar profile is that of coca-cola to rc cola like the different but similar kind of if you want to go that route 
Um, no, I, and I do think he has quality and I think he can put in a shift. I think he can give you 30 minutes if you need him, uh, for Eunice Musa, who has played so many minutes and it's just going to be probably gas for his extra time. And, and Sam said it for the love of God, can we please see Joe Scally? <laughs> I mean, come on, this dude's playing week in, week out, playing well for a, a team that is not bad in the Bundesliga. It's a top five league. I think they're currently eighth. I might be wrong on that, but they're 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 a solid side. And and this kid has proven he's 19 years old, but he's gone up against the yellow wall. He's he made his debut against Bayern at Bayern when they had Lewandowski. I mean, it's 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 no, it won't be it won't phase him too much. Uh, I think the only thing that could face him is that he hasn't played in the world cup yet when there were ample opportunities to send him in there um i think that could be uh a, a bit of a, a bit of an issue i think greg uh i i honestly do think this could come down to extra time so i think that greg is really gonna have to pick his moments when to make subs and when and who he he brings off the bench um and if it goes to penalties, I, I think it's just a crapshoot because a lot of these guys um, have very little experience taking penalties. Um, Christian has some. Gio has a little. Eunice has some. That's not good. Um, but maybe he's learned from that experience. We'll see how that goes. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think Scally not coming in, especially with Shaq Moore, just leads me to believe either Greg hates him or, or he, <laughs> he has, like – one of his legs is about to fall off. I don't know. I knew as soon as you said RC Cola, somebody in chat would come <laughs> at you and Papita Chips is here. RC Cola is way better. WTF, you talking about now I'm pissed. Uh, so there you go. I knew there would be somebody out there who stands for RC Cola. Um, yeah, I, I see this. Um, you, you mentioned extra time and I just, I see it too, man. Cause you're talking about yeah. a U.S. squad that has done really well in, in controlling games and, and shutting down the attacks of oppositions, but can't quite score itself. And then you have a Dutch side on the opposition that um, is, is, you know, they, they're going to be reliant on service up to their strikers. And if the U S can deny that they're going to have a hard time, but at the same time, they got a tremendous defense as well. This is, this is a game that certainly could go down uh, nil-nil or 1-1 one, one, and we end up in extra time and we're both putting on uh, Shabby Simmons and, and whoever the hell else we got out there. Uh, Shabby Simmons versus Luca Della Torre is an interesting kind of, um, kind of mind experiment. I don't know who we got there. <laughs> Let's see. Rando Calrissian donates $1.99 and says, didn't Shaq get the big assist versus Canada Scally Week? Rando no, that, is our resident... Wrong. He's our resident um, uh, uh, Shaq Moore stand. So he, you anytime you mention Shaq Moore, he's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I mean. That was A-Rob to Brendan Aronson, and then we got shut out in, in, <laughs> in when we went up to Canada. If he's talking about World Cup qualifying. Yeah, Shaq Moore played in the Panama game. I don't remember if he got an assist. There were a lot of goals in that game, but I don't think that he was he was one of the suppliers of one. I don't, I don't remember. I mean, he is the internet's biggest Shaq Moore fan. So if anybody knows, he would probably know. But is in the Canada game, Serginho Dest started and DeAndre Yedlin came in. I don't remember Shaq Moore he, being in the game. He's gaslighting you into believing him. 
Yeah, I don't know what he's talking Jack about. Moore did something he didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the I, I think even if you take every, like the Bundesliga and everything Scally's accomplished and how well he played in September away, and all you had to focus on was the play of Yellen and Shaq Moore in, in the in the games that we've seen so far. It might tempt you to go towards Scally. Brad, you got one more thing on this? I not not on this, but I see this comment here. Can we combine Canada and the US as a nation? We need David. Jonathan David was born in Brooklyn, New York, about five miles that away from me right now. Just so is Canada. We talked about the War of 1812 a whole lot in, in preparation for the England game. I mean, the War of 1812 was the U.S. attempting to invade and take over Canada. So if that would have if that would have gone through, if we would have actually won the war, really, there's probably no English people in here anymore, so I can be real about it. If we would have really won that war, we, we'd have Canada, so this would be a, a moot point. Um, our attack would be freaking awesome. Um but it didn't quite go that way. Now, I think we need to turn our attention to, since we've been talking, we've kind of been slamming Greg Berhalter and his uh, substitutions throughout the World Cup. It's time to turn our attention to kind of Greg Berhalter's legacy following this tournament. Um, now, we don't know if he's going to be the coach uh, heading into 2026. I know Chad is probably not going to like hearing that. Uh, we, we don't know that at this point. We're going to assume that he's not and that this is going to be um, his last tournament with, with the with the squad. Um, Coming into this tournament, he has been persona non grata with U.S. men's national team fans. Um, people have just absolutely hated him for everything that he's done, uh, from his shoes to his T-shirt to his bald head to his backwards passes. Every, I mean, the internet goes nuts. Anything he, anytime he does anything, we get to the World Cup and this team has looked phenomenal. Um, the tactics have been praised by uh, tacticians from all over the world. The U.S. has been held up as a shining light of of what teams are supposed to do and Greg Berhalter has been held in high esteem as one of the top coaches in the tournament which is just a a, a funny thing to happen um in the world of of, of American soccer now Jake I, I want to start with you let's let's assume both ways assuming the U.S. loses tomorrow and assuming the U.S. wins tomorrow how does that affect Greg's legacy assuming that he doesn't go on to coach in 2026 um it's a great question. And before the World Cup, I was continuing to say Greg's legacy is going to live and die with this World Cup. And I almost see it as like three different scenarios. The two that you mentioned, and then another one, which is if we play a really tightly contested match and lose, that to me also says something a little bit different. If we lose and we kind of lay down and die and Netherlands trample us, I think that kind of leaves us with a, a taste in our mouth that is quite bad, uh, especially considering the group stage that we just had. Um, I think we can look back at the group stage with a, a lot of happiness, but also knowing that there were moments where it could have turned ugly for us. Uh, just like some of those small moments in each of those games where something happened that went our way or maybe it was neutral, whereas in another universe or another dimension, could have gone poorly. I, I think we deserve to get out of our group rightly, but Greg, if we lose tomorrow and we don't play well, like we don't have the performance like we have had in each of the three group stage matches, that to me, I would probably feel negatively towards Greg's tenure um, overall. Not not hugely bad, but definitely could have done more with this golden generation of players. If we win tomorrow and go on to a quarterfinal match, I think. 
anything that Greg does from that point on is like golden. Um, and if you're going to be a fan that like, if, if we play a really tightly contested game tomorrow and lose, or if we win and you still don't like Greg Berhalter as a coach and some of the things that he's done for this team, Oh, well, I have bad news because you will never like a coach that the U S has ever for the I, I rest of eternity. True. I think a lot really? of people, yeah, I think a lot of people like decided that Greg was bad early and just put a lot of stock into that. And now at this point, like can't back down, like can't walk back from it. They're so in pot committed and invested um, that, that, that it, it doesn't really matter at this point. I mean, they're going to hate on them no matter what, I, if we get a new coach in, and whatever the winds blow and decide that he's good, regardless of anything, people might kind of flip. And like all of a sudden, everything that coach does is great. Maybe if he's the antithesis of Greg Berhalter, people will love him. I do want to ask you an addendum to this question, though. I just thought about it. Let's say let's say there's some um, European brass out there at, at a decent ranking club that is watching this tournament and is like, yeah, I like these Americans. I like this Greg Berhalter. I see what Jesse Marsh is doing over at Leeds. I like I like the cut of this guy's jib. I like them backwards passes. I like them Jordans. I like everything about this guy. I want to bring him in and be the manager at my club. How do you think that American soccer would view Greg if all of a sudden he was uh, coaching in the EPL or coaching in the Bundesliga or something <laughs> like that? I mean, at, at this point in time with where U.S. soccer is in the the globe i will take anything that i can get um especially for coaches like pellegrino Matarazzo at stuttgart in the bundesliga was great having jesse marsh at leeds is great having greg go to europe and play maybe or coach for a lower table team in a top five league that to me would be great and at some point it doesn't really matter what we think if the top brass at trois or I don't know, Borussia Mönchengladbach want to take a chance on this upstart American coach that has league experience and took, you know, a a young, talented U.S. team to a quarterfinal, then great. And it doesn't matter what a million fans in the U.S. think of his tenure from the Gold Cup bringing Jonathan Lewis to <laughs> to, to the roster. Like, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, we... I, we... The the thing that like kills me is like knowing what I know about European soccer and how many like ridiculous coaches have been brought in that, that were just terrible. <laughs> yeah. I remember whenever I was uh, watching Josie at Sunderland, they brought in that coach who I can't remember his name, but he was a former great at the club and he was just absolutely bonkers. And like I remember he banned Coke at the club, like banned Coke and ketchup Maybe or RC something Cola like that. was the ban. <laughs> it, it was yeah yeah rc cola and, and like he was just off the wall and i mean he got a premier league job at sunderland which was a pretty solid club at the time um they've eventually at this point fallen off but like the idea that everybody that coaches in the premier league is like this great coach is, is pretty ridiculous i mean coach the, the the european clubs are just as dumb as anybody else i mean they'll but anyway let, let's move on from that brad I, I, do you have any thoughts on this subject I have one thought, and I don't think it's going to be Gladbach because he hates Joe Scali. Um, but uh, a team like Real Mallorca might be a, a team. And here's something to, to consider. A lot of American ownership groups are getting into the game because they're seeing untapped revenue potential. And, and it's very low risk 
um, low, low cost of, I won't say low risk, low cost of entry uh, is, is something. And to have a guy who led a young scrappy team uh, in, in, in on a World Cup run to get him out of the group where not a lot of people thought, I mean, we did, but um, not a lot of outside people thought that they were going to get out of the group. I think that could be something interesting. I think an American ownership group could, might go, huh, get me that guy. Because sometimes, and we've talked about it on this channel, um, a lot of times you need a new voice every four years. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think Greg was the right voice at the right time with these guys. And he doesn't get enough credit for the recruiting job he's done with Sergino Dest, Anthony Robinson, Eunice Musa. Um, but I, I think it would, if, if he is to stay on four more years, I think it could be the old Batman phrase. You're either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And I think there could be, um, his voice could get a little redundant. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. In the locker room. And what you're saying, I mean, it happened before, um, Swansea city got American, uh, ownership and they brought in Bob Bradley and the fan base hated him and ran him out of town. Like immediately. I mean, um, he kind of ran himself out of town. I mean, it, it was the results. Yeah. <laughs> it, who knows? Um, S 27 here says something, uh, it is possible for a coach to be carried by the player, Sam, uh, do, somebody help me out with this. Do, do Munich Dominic was carried by his players. I'm not sure which coach he's talking about, but I say like, I absolutely agree. And like, I've, I've talked to Jake about this before mm -hmm. on his channel. I think we talk way too much about coaches. I think it's all about the players. I mean, if it's not all about the players, it's 95% about the players. I mean, if we look around the world at world soccer, you can pretty much guess where teams are going to fall on the table based on how much money they spend um, teams. If you look even at the EPL, which is one of the more competitive leagues um, in world soccer, I mean, the teams at the top, like the top four is going to be decided by who spends the most. And the bottom four is going to be decided by who spends the least. Um, who is the rel the manager at that time is not a, a huge impact on that. Even somebody who is known as the great innovator and the great manager of our time and Pep Guardiola. I mean, Pep Guardiola started his career at Barcelona, who's a team that spends uh, some of the most money of any team in the world. And he happened upon uh, the greatest midfield maybe in the history of soccer and the greatest player in the history of soccer kind of coming together in this moment. And then where did he go after that? He went to Bayern Munich, which was spending among the most money in the world at that time. And he had just this incredible uh, cast of characters over there. And then where does he go? Well, he goes to rough it and test his test the Premier League over at Man City, who literally, I think they're spending the most out of anybody in the world right now. So Pep Guardiola throughout his entire career has been able to uh, have whatever players he wanted. You contrast that by the guy who's probably the second best manager of his generation, and that is uh, Jurgen Klopp over at Liverpool. Now, Jurgen Klopp is known for what he's done at Liverpool, but if you consider hitting Liverpool at a time whenever you had um, you had Salah and you had Mane and you had Virgil van Dijk and you had like this great generation of players um, who were at the top of their game and then started to fall off. And as they've fallen off, even with all of his resources at Liverpool and all the clout, they haven't been able to been able to replace those players. And as such, they haven't been able to replace that dominance and they've fallen off a bit as well. So it, I just don't see... Um, these instances where the coach is like coming in and changing things in, in drastic ways. 
in the long run, it's all about who's got the best players. I think that's reflected with the U.S. men's national team. Our best results have happened whenever we've had our best players all together in healthy and in good form. Our worst results have occurred whenever we've played whenever we've played rotated teams or like in the case in uh, the September uh, where we had, we, we had a lot of players out, but we also had like a injured Weston McKinney, like half of a um, half of a, a, a Gio Reyna. It was just kind of a crap situation as the, I mean, we ran uh, in that Saudi Arabia game. We ran more or less the same tactics that we ran in the world cup that all the tactics gurus are losing their minds over it's just we have way better players. players running them right now. <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden, because the tactics are working, everybody's like everybody's all over Greg. Nobody cared about those tactics against Saudi Arabia. Whenever we we had a zero zero draw against that team, and the team didn't look that great. Where we had kind of not so great players on the field. The, the the results determine how good the tactics are because everybody only cares about ta- tactics that work, and the tactics that work work for teams that have the best players because the teams with the best players win. I, I, Jake, I, I know you're... Yeah. You, you, well, <laughs> give, give me you your... You can read your, get your super chat. <laughs> All right. Rando Calrissi and Donis Calanine says, Maya Culpa, <laughs> Shaq scored uh, 20 versus Canada in Gold Cup 2021. Oh, okay. So he was talking about the Gold Cup. Okay. So that makes sense. All right. <laughs> um, Jake, uh, I know Jake, you're yeah. the manager. So I know you have some takes to react to my uh, managers don't matter. I just feel... So... The there is a difference though between like in the Gold Cup and the Nations League, I felt like the US was winning in spite of Greg, that we were creating moments based on our players and our ability, less than Greg was helping us with his tactics. Or there there were moments where I really questioned if he was building a good environment or not, or if that was all just for wordplay for for us as fans. Um but you can see that that has come good in the World Cup, that his job as a manager has actually been more beneficial to us in terms of the environment that he's built and the dual nationals and tri-nationals that he's recruited. That in itself has to be part of his legacy as well. I think the other piece that you talked about with coaches, managers do make a difference, but absolutely when the game starts, it is all up to the players to influence the game and carry out that plan or not carry out that plan. Soccer is like one of the sports where once the whistle blows, the manager has almost zero influence on what happens in the game. Um, The one last thing I'll say there is someone like Mikel Arteta at Arsenal. Managing jobs are always on a knife's edge. You are never more than three or four games away from being on the hot seat. Mikel Arteta for a year and a half, two years, was on the brink of being fired from Arsenal. And it was kind of like, just wait, like we're building a system, we're building a family, we're building a recruitment system. And now look at them. So he could have easily been fired many different times yeah. throughout that journey. And they're at the top of the table in the prem now. So Greg deserves credit. Um, I feel like he's not hurting the team actively in this World Cup with his tactics. And I feel like he's been, um, you know, a lot of what we've maybe had questions about in terms of the environment and the team building that has actually been validated throughout this World Cup as well. To yeah, be fair, though, Sam, aren't yeah. Arsenal and USMNT fans just the most rational people? <laughs> well, you know, 
we talk about building a good environment, but if we remember the last World Cup was won by France in, in 2018, and uh, France is always known as being just always on the edge of a, of a meltdown. I mean, they're, they're kind of like a, a Mexico-type squad, an England-type squad, where they're, they're, um, they're like Hollywood uh, international team. Um, I, I, I believe Benzema was kicked off the national team in 2018 for some, he was blackmailing really, teammates. Yeah. Blackmailing <laughs> teammates. I mean, that was the environment that, that occurred heading into the 2018 world cup, but they were able to win because they had the best midfielder in the world and his absolute prime. And in Golo Conte, they had Pogba next to him who, uh, that, that tandem was just unbelievable. I mean, they had they were just brimming with talent at every position. And at some point, talent just overcomes everything in soccer. It really doesn't matter, at least in my perspective. Another uh, antidote would be like if you looked at the coaches in this World Cup and you were ranking them, like I don't know how you would put Hansi Flick anywhere but like a tier above everybody else. I mean, he won the treble twice with Bayern Munich. He won the German coach of the year and then became the European coach of the year and then decided to take over the German national team, everybody would consider him like on the mountaintop of, of international coaches, considering his resume coming in, and Germany flops out uh, of the group stage. Now, Germany did have the most XG of the tournament for all of you uh, XG faithful out there, which would assume that variance occurs in short periods, which we know in soccer, getting in some real nerd talk here which I think also accounts for the Gold Cup because we certainly weren't the most talented team in the Gold Cup. And I think we were able to ride um, some some Matt Turner super saves throughout that tournament to that title. Um, and, and we really got a little bit lucky there with that. And maybe we got a little bit lucky in the Nations League as well. We know variants can occur um, in short windows. Uh, and, and I'm really hoping we get some solid variants our way uh, tomorrow against the Netherlands. I see uh, 427 Motorsport, one of the members here, he says, my issue is Greg, with Greg is that he isn't putting the best 11 on the field. Reyna needs to play, which, man, if that guy's healthy, he is definitely an asset to this squad. I, I think to wrap it up, I, I want to get some predictions from you guys. So let's see, Brad, I'll start with you. What, what are your thoughts on the game tomorrow? And chat, let me know, um, let me know what you guys think is going to happen. Give me your score predictions and also tell me who you think is going to score. So, Brad, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? I think it's 1-1 going to extra time. Uh, Christian Pulisic late winner. I think his comment about his landing moment hasn't happened yet. You know, from your lips to God's ears, Hershey Jesus, I think you got a direct line there, bud. Um, I think... uh, I think the Dutch get one off a set piece and I think we get one in transition. I think that's where our, our goals are coming from. I think uh, we get both our goals in transition. Um, but I, th- I think these guys know that this is, you know, a chance to really grab hearts and minds of the U S soccer faithful. It's, it's a great day of, uh, of, of, of TV tomorrow, of sports TV tomorrow. You got all the college football uh, conference championships coming after this. It's going to be this game's basically the lead in for them. So it, it's it's a real opportunity for a lot of people to be exposed to a big game. And that's something I know these guys aren't going to take for granted. Um, I saw a comment earlier from Audrey that said uh, that was put, talking about Coach Cal. Uh, from Kentucky posting a picture with Christian Pulisic at Chelsea uh, and then 
the University of Michigan was at at Stanford Bridge today, um, shouting out Christian Pulisic. The it, LeBron was in a USMNT jersey. Uh, by the way, the blue jerseys have grown on me. The white jerseys have not. But it, it's <laughs> it's gotten into our culture, and this this really is an opportunity. And I, I think these guys uh, aren't going to take it for granted. And I see a desk goal in there. We didn't touch upon this. I think Des is going to ball out tomorrow. Uh, the, the, that uh, is true. We haven't talked about that at all. That's a great point. Uh, I I, th- I think he he's gonna he's gonna see uh, look across the field and see a bunch of dudes he used to play with, and he's gonna go all right bet. And I think he is going to just go into his zone tomorrow. Hopefully, he will lay it off and pass it like he he did in the last game, rather than take a. a, a, a uh, a half chance of a shot, but I, I think uh, I think Sergio is going to ball out tomorrow. I don't think he's passing tomorrow. That man, it, <laughs> he's looking for a shot. Drunken Ramblings free game baguette right now. <laughs> what they? I Do saw they an interview today. Somebody are? said whenever he gets to America, he has to go to Panda Express to get orange chicken, which just like adds to the Sergio Death <laughs> mythology. You, did you did you read the the story about him and Chris Richards in Bradenton? Where he's just shirtless, in, shirtless yeah. in like the dorm room with a hat tilted off. He's like, take a video of me. Like, okay. <laughs> it was just his own person. Drunken rambling with Aaron donates $5. He says, McKinney crossed to Pulisic early. Dutch pull even in the 70th minute. And then Zimmerman with a huge goal from a set piece or corner. Extra time, two to one USA. Man, I do not, guys. Emotionally, physically, I don't. I don't want extra time. You can't do that to me, uh, Jake. What are your thoughts on how this game is going to go? Yeah, my wife has already declined extra time and penalty kicks. Uh, those are not allowed in this household right now. Um, with a seven-month pregnant woman, she cannot take that stress. So please, USA, end this in regular time. I am thinking it's a one-nil win for the U.S. It is going to be a really tight game. I think Dest is going to ball out. He's going to be really, I mean, he's played lights out this entire tournament, but to now play the nation that he grew up in, the other nation that he's eligible for, I really think Dest is going to have one of the best games that he's ever played in a U.S. jersey, and that's saying a lot. Um, this, This game is, like I said before, is an inflection point for U.S. soccer. And for me as a fan, I feel like, Soccer is a sport that can make your day or ruin your month. So I'm hoping for a great day tomorrow. Yeah, and, and I think I, I'm so glad that you guys are talking about that because I, I really think it's true, man. I really think that this is an opportunity for these guys. If they're able to win this game, then we have, I, I think the next game would be like later on next week. I mean, you have just the nation's attention at that point. They're already appearing on like Good Morning America and like ESPN and whatever. The nation will will care in a big way. I mean, we've already had Charles Barkley weighing in talking about how we want Spain, we want Brazil, we you know we want everybody. If they win this game and they get to the quarterfinal, people will care. People will tune in. I actually I got called in to my uh, local news radio station this morning to, to like talk about the team, and they spent like. 10 minutes, 12 minutes with me um, at 7. Little humble brag. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, I, I used to work at that radio station, so it was kind of like... And you, you got know. recognized today in the grocery store. I mean, I got recognized by somebody with a high celebrity. school. So, 
<laughs> it's a little bit different. But anyway, um, I, yeah, I mean, people are really care starting to care. And if they win this game tomorrow, it is just going to, um, I think, really light that candle, really ignite that that flame, that rocket ship uh, that is soccer that we already know is coming. It'll just get it coming a little bit faster. And, and if you think about um, these players right now and their age and, and how 2010 just had such an impact on on what they chose to do with their lives and, and where they are right now, um, considering with all the attention on this team right now, with how big soccer is for kids in this country right now, for people that are like uh, 25 years old and younger, just the opportunity that these guys have tomorrow to to really go out and, and capture the attention of this nation and really allow this sport to really take its rightful place um, where it should be in the pantheon of, of, of sports in this country. And for people, the, the world to really respect um, this, this, this sport in this country. I, th- I think we're really seeing a lot of, um, of, of international attention uh, looking at the U.S., looking at the players that are being produced, looking at the soccer that's being played in this national team. And, and, and allow me to say it because everybody's rolling their eyes right now. God damn it. Greg Berhalter may have changed the way the world views American soccer. Now, I, I forget who I think it's been Alexi Lawless who, who's been saying you may it may be easier to change the way the world views American soccer than it is to change the way America views American soccer. And I think that's really what's at stake tomorrow morning. Yeah. And, and these boys have that opportunity to really go out there and 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 change things, change change hearts and minds, and change opinions in a big way. And and I absolutely can't wait. I, I think they've got the ability. I, I think they've got the opportunity in a, in a Dutch side that has the name recognition, but doesn't necessarily have the players and the talent right now. I'm not saying we're the favorites, but I'm saying, God damn it, we have a chance. So I think that they can go out there and do it, and I hope they do, man. I want to thank you guys for coming on. Jake, tell everybody where they can get your content. Yeah, I'm on YouTube. It's called Soccer. There's a podcast as well. It's called Soccer, where I bring on an astrophysicist in training and an expat in Germany that watches all of our boys in the Bundesliga. So listen to that. Check out the YouTube channel. It's called Soccer. You can see Sam Stokes on some of the episodes there. (laughs) Uh, I really Right. Tell all your fans out there where they can get a hold of you. Uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for watching, chat. I mean, we're going to be here for the pregame show. We're going to do a postgame show. We're going to be here with you. Hopefully, hopefully it's a party postgame like it was a few days ago. My goodness, this is a big one. Guys, I hope you get some sleep. We're going to be up bright and early, especially if you are on the West Coast. This game is coming at you real quick. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. we got a big one tomorrow. Make sure you hit the like button if you haven't yet. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't yet. And if you really want to support the channel, you can become a member. Shout out to my tier two members, Manuel Oliveras, Mike, Mike, Matthew Doyle, Matthew Hanna, Michael Baker, Dan McVeigh, Mike Irish, Aaron M., and 427 Motorsport LLC, who we heard from in the chat tonight. Guys, thank you so much for watching. On behalf of Jake and Brad, my name is Sam, and this is the Yank Report, brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.